are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by Great Northern Bow Company. At Great Northern Bow Company, they design and build every bow with you in mind and with respect for the long and noble hunter-gatherer lineage we are all connected to. They build hunting bows, bows designed to make you the very best bow hunter you can be. How do they do it? By paying attention to what really matters in a bow. Stability, smoothness of draw, reliability, performance, refined design, and by using carefully selected materials. Their bows have an understated beauty and refinement of appearance that will make them hold their appeal for a lifetime, and they still build their bows one at a time by hand. So consider making your next custom bow a Great Northern Bow, and in the meantime, be sure to check out their website at gnbco.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel, and I'm back with Mr. Jerry Russell. We're going to we're going to jump into a little bit of discussion around planning your your dream hunt. It's uh, one of several topics that I think Jerry and I'll probably uh, have conversations on and share with you. But um, it was back in 2015, and I've actually talked about this on the podcast once or twice. That uh, I heard you give a presentation down in Middle Georgia for uh, the traditional bow hunters of Georgia about planning your dream hunt. And um, I've been wanting to do a, a podcast about that ever since because uh, it, it lit a fire under my butt just mm-hmm. sitting there listening to it. Uh, I had wanted to hunt pronghorn antelope since I was 16 years old. And <clears throat> just hearing that, and I guess I should say hearing and seeing because you did a slideshow, which obviously we're not going to have here, but um it it really did it really did light a fire. So I I, I guess I, I you know th- thank you for that because that was a that was an amazing hunt. It took place the following year, so that was that would have been in August of 2015, and the following year in August of 2016 is when I did my my pronghorn antelope hunt. So I guess Jerry, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. That uh, uh, little talk that we did that day down there. Uh, I think it was pretty well received, and, and uh, I was pleased to have heard your success story from the following year, but there's there's a host of other people that I, I think I struck a chord with in a positive way, and they've done the same thing, whether it be caribou or elk, uh, black bear, uh, a number of species. So um, hopefully we, we got the word out and inspired some people. Well, and, and again, it, it, it did me, and I think it's something that you could – had, now, had you given that little presentation before? I had not. Well, I, well, never in public like that, but I give it to anybody that'll hear it. <laughs> Anytime we're sitting around a campfire or on the side of a mountain somewhere, I tell people, you know, you, I've got a lot of friends that, that hunt, and they, they basically focus in the south, whether it be Georgia or Florida. And, and they, they see what I do, and that is I, I work for a living in the outdoors, and they say, well, one of these days, and that's usually the starting phrase for me to start in on them, to say that, you know, time is short. Um, and that's that's where the talk always begins on chasing your dreams as far as hunting and fishing. So I guess we'll, uh, and I've, I've probably got a few things that, that I may add from my personal experience as far as how I made it happen, but we'll save that for a little later into this. So you can do a lot of these hunts with a little bit of planning without a guide, Okay. And I'm not sure exactly, I don't remember exactly where you're going to go with the, the finance part, but if that is what it's going to take to make your dream hunt to come true is you feel like you have to have that guide, well, you can still do it. You just may have to put that dream off a few more years to save that money to do that. Um, so the point I'm trying to make here is your, if your dream hunt is based around an animal, then it comes down to figuring out how much time do you want to invest to make this happen and how much money so that then you can you can weigh that out to say do i want to do it faster and maybe a little bit cheaper or can i wait a little bit longer and spend a little bit more money if i want to if that's the experience that i want to have yeah exactly a a great example is elk another great example is caribou what is your budget and then also what is your expectation for success a guided hunt 
is in most all cases going to be you're going to be more successful in other words you're going to spend less time pursuing a particular animal and when i say less time is it you may can get the elk the first year versus if you go yourself it might take you five six seven hunts so having said that if a guided elk hunt is five thousand dollars and an unguided hunt is fifteen hundred but you're unsuccessful five years in a row they're about the same um so you have to weigh that um, you can be successful on your own uh, caribou is a great example elk's another great example mule deer with a good bit of planning um, certainly pronghorn antelope black bear is another great do-it-yourself hunt um, but some people want that guide and there and there's nothing wrong with that um, the, the beauty of having a guide is if you're successful quickly you can move to the next species so over the course of your lifetime, you spend less money because you've moved on from one dream hunt to, to the next. Um, in Canada, for instance, if you hunt caribou, you have to be guided. You at least, at least have a camp manager. So that's going to cost you a, a pretty fair penny. Mm-hmm. Um, hunt Alaska, in, in, in most cases, you can hunt without a guide. Um, it's not... It's not an easy hunt for, from a planning perspective, but it's certainly doable. There's so many resources out there that'll help you be successful. My caribou experience is I've hunted one time guided, for lack of a better phrase, it was nothing more than a camp manager, somebody that sat at the, in the camp every day. They didn't provide any hunting assistance, but by law that was required in Canada. My other 13 or 14 caribou hunts have been self-guided, and I've been successful every time except the first time and even then, I should have been successful. So it can certainly be done. Um, Alaska was the caribou hunting was a was a tremendous dream of mine. What I didn't realize was how addictive it was going to be, um, and it hung me up for a long time. I just could not stop going. I like the wildness, I like the physicality of that hunt, um, and I would imagine elk in, in certain conditions would be similar to that. But you can get it done. I think the first thing is to realize that you're going to do it. Say to yourself, I'm not going to dream about this anymore. I'm going to do it. And then find the mechanisms that will help you get where you need to be from a planning perspective. A great, great uh, resource for people is some of the hunting consultants around the country right now. Um, They will help you with planning, um, particularly if you're using a guided hunt. There are some expensive ones but there's some that are much, much less expensive. I won't name them by name, but you just have to kind of ferret through some. Some are just outrageously priced, but some will actually get you on a guided hunt that's cheaper than the published price of that guide. Um, I use a guide of Pennsylvania, and he's, he's, he's booked places for me literally around the world. And uh, what, what the advantage to that is that he, this particular gentleman can figure out, he figured out, what I want. I don't want somebody over my shoulder. I don't want anybody even with me. Um, and whether it's Alaska or New Mexico or Zimbabwe or Namibia, he puts me in a place that he knows that I'll be happy with versus you going on the internet and finding Joe's guide service. And you don't know if it's just a website of some guy sitting in a dark room or is it a legitimate outfitter. When you go through a booking agent, you have much, much less of an opportunity to be disappointed in the guide service that you get. So that's just a little tidbit there to consider. Um, From a financial planning perspective, here's the thing. If you don't think you can afford it, you're just wrong. Now, certainly there are hunts, you know, the the Marco Polo sheep hunts, for instance, you could save a lifetime and not afford it. But an elk, a deer, a bear, a caribou, a moose hunt even, generally on any salary within three years, four years max, you can plan that, that, that special hunt. And in some cases, it's a lot less than that. Um, if you do self-guided for caribou, you know, you're talking maybe four grand, something like that, all in. And if you plan it with one or two other hunters to share the flight services, you can do it a lot less expensive. Um, it's been a while since I've done it, but uh, I think... 0708 was my last caribou hunt until two years ago I took my son on his first hunt um, in, in southwest Alaska and we had a phenomenal hunt it was not that expensive um, and we got it done I, I've, I've done it a dozen times and this was his first 
and to, to watch him take a, a nice bull on the side of a mountain was was really special so um so funny funny story about that hunt i don't know if you remember this or not i do <laughs> i knew i knew you were going i didn't know when you were going i had actually had to fly out to uh seattle for I, <clears throat> so for those that don't know i actually do it work that's my day that's my day that's what pays the bills is i'm an it guy <clears throat> and i work for a microsoft partner and they had sent me out there for something at microsoft i don't even remember what it was now and i stayed two extra days on my own dime and spent a good bit of time with Jay St. Charles. It's funny you were talking about Bo's on a little Delta. Hung out with Jay at his shop, which I've done several times. Just a phenomenal guy. Just sit around and talk. And you walk in his little workshop, and it's a it's an old horse barn. That's where he builds his bows. And there are bows everywhere in all stages, all types, recurves, long bows, English long bows, bows that didn't <laughs> bows that failed. Um, he's got bows from, you know, the, the, God, I think some of these things like in the, from the 1920s, from people that his dad knew that, you know, founded the, the, the traditional bow hunting in the state of Washington. So anyway, I spend those days with, with, uh, Jay and then I'm flying out Saturday, early Saturday morning. I mean, it was like the first flight out of Seattle and I'm sitting in the, in the seat in front of the plane and I get a text. Are you on a plane for Jerry? Are you on a plane to Atlanta? And I'm sitting there going, okay, that's kind of freaky. <laughs> and, and you were actually, you and Luke were on the same plane coming yep. back from your. What are the odds? From your Alaska. You know, I mean, small world. Fifteen hundred miles from home, and we bump into each other <laughs> on the same. Plane. Yeah, we had just returned from a caribou hunt, very successful, and hunting black-tailed deer, and then we'd also gone out to Kodiak Island and caught some tremendous. Um, uh, fish. I mean, just most of my Alaska hunts have have been some of the greatest fishing trips of my life. You know, right. we caught the halibut and the, all that salmon and all that stuff. It was a neat trip, but it was odd to run into you that far from home. Yeah, it was. It was like I said when I first saw the text. I went, "Okay, that's a little." That's because I was. I didn't <laughs> see you come on the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was funny. So I don't not sure where you're going on the on the finance stuff, how deep you're going there, because I do have a few things that I I will add if you don't. But I will say that um, let's take something like a uh, uh, an antelope hunt or a mule deer hunt. So I did the antelope hunt the year after uh, you did your presentation, and I chose to go with a guide. And there were several reasons for that. Uh, I was doing the hunt with Tom Jurgensen. Um, in fact, it's kind of funny, not long after that uh, August, I was hunting with Tom. I can't remember if it was in Michigan or if he had come he had come down to Georgia. Anyway, we were talking, and I mentioned that I'd listened, that you'd given that presentation, and I'm, I said, I'm going to make it happen. And he said, let's do it. That was his name. His words for me was, let's do it, and, and we started planning that hunt together. But we did choose uh, to go with, and I say it's a guide, really what the operation was, was um, it was a 60,000 acre ranch. And they have some blinds that are, that are preset of water holes and those kind of things. And they carry out and drop you off. I mean, that, it, it's guided, but it's not, it's not like, it's like you said, it's not like somebody sitting over your shoulder and telling you what doing all this stuff. Um, but my point is this, that was not extravagant i mean it was expensive but it wasn't over the top expensive this past year two years later tom and i went back did a public land hunt um, for mule deer the only thing i would change if we had that hunt to do over again is i would have picked a unit that had doe tags because that was the most frustrating thing of going out there and seeing doe after doe after doe after doe we just could not locate the bucks and we could have filled a truck with 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 mm-hmm. does so I would do that differently, but from a cost perspective, it was probably less money than the average hunter spends on whitetail gear to hunt in their home state each year. I mean, yep. it just, we drove, we, we rented a car, we drove, it just, we didn't stay in any hotels. It, it, it just wasn't that expensive. So you can take it from one extreme to the other, and that was hunting in the Bighorn Mountains, mountains of Wyoming which is just phenomenal. I mean, it's just every morning you wake up, you look around, you have to pinch yourself. You know, am I really here? Um, so anyway, I, I didn't aim to take you off track. No, no, that's fine. Um, but you're right. It's just, there's so many options available out there to the average Joe. 
Let me back up too, because oftentimes when I'm giving this talk or I'm having this discussion, people say, well, you, you were able to afford it because of X or Y or Z. Well, let me explain something. In my previous life, when I did a lot of these hunts, I was a fireman. Um, I just had the drive, the will, and the, and the financial planning to make it happen. I put uh, two daughters through college, um, and you know I started I started small with it with the caribou hunts. They were reasonable back in the mid nine or the late nineties and the early two thousands when I went. But as I, as my taste for adventure went from uh, from the U.S. to to across the big pond into Africa, that was expensive. It was more expensive. It's it's cheaper than you think, but it was still expensive. So I literally built irrigation an irrigation company, a lawn sprinkler company, just to pay those bills. Um, so I moonlighted and I saved and I saved and I saved. It can happen. There's so many things that we do in life that cost money that are bad for us. Whether you're eating at the you know at a fast food restaurant, whether you have the habit of smoking, which I hope most people don't, but if you do, it's an expensive habit. Um, whether it be alcohol or whatever it is, there's a lot of things that we do that we don't need to do or we could cut back on. And you would be astonished if you can put that money where life won't gobble it up, how quickly you can save for this. Or you can, you can cut grass on the weekends. You can do whatever you want to do. If you've got the dream, there is a way to make it happen. I can promise you that. On a fireman's salary, I did Alaska a dozen times. Um, I didn't make a lot of money, but I, I made it happen. Um, the passion was there. The drive was there. I did, I did mule deer hunts in Alberta. Um, we did antelope in Wyoming, uh, bear hunts all over Canada, and, and uh, some caribou hunts up there as well. But it can happen. You can do it. Um, this is a somewhat controversial thing that I've brought up in the past, but for people that when life gets in your way, the car insurance hits you and you just can't save. I read an article years ago by a really, really um, well-published bow hunting um, author. And we've actually hunted the same ground together, never together, but we've hunted a lot of the same species and actually in the same areas of Alaska. And he had a tactic that I thought was controversial when I read it, but now that I think about it, I under, kind of understand it. They asked him, how, how do you afford it on a writer's salary? Because, you know, outdoor writers don't make a lot of money. He said, I borrow the money. And everybody gasped in the room. He said, no, listen to me. He said, life's going to hit you between the eyes over and over and over again, and it's going to eat your dreams up. He said, I realized at a young age, I couldn't save any money. He said, but if you borrow the money from a bank or a credit union or whatever, you're going to pay that money back. You're going to pay that money back. He said, now I'm not an advocate, and and." And Jerry Russell's the same way. I'm not an advocate of borrowing money to go hunting. But what I'm saying is, if you have a reasonable goal, a reasonable financial goal, and you want to borrow money to pay for a hunt forward, not backwards. Don't don't buy the hunt and then try to pay it off next year or after you've done it. In other words, borrow a reasonable amount, um, pay it, and you're going to pay that money. Life's not going to get in the way of that bank payment. Mm-hmm. A reasonable amount, and uh, and and that might facilitate you know fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, something like that, to book a hunt, you know, to to get you started in the right direction. That's not for everybody. I'm not saying that it is, but it might be an option for some. But you have to obviously exercise great control with with how you plan that out and pay for it. So I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I you're I know you I know you well enough, and we've had conversations that I know another component of this this puzzle that. That you didn't you didn't state there. You said you put two girls through college, but you also put the money back to put your son through college, and he decided college wasn't that's for correct. him. And you just built him built him a house based on that money. So that's correct. Technically, yeah. it was three. Yeah, um, put three through it, and I just uh, <laughs> just bought his all of his property for his home and built his home. So yeah, technically it was three. So ho- I hope you don't mind my saying. No, that. No, no, no. That's that's, that's something. I think it does add some context. Yeah. And everybody says, well, it's, and, and that's a thing. A lot of people will are almost argumentative. Well, if you're, you know, if you're not paying for this or that, well, I paid for everything. Yeah. I paid, I paid, I paid my way. I paid, my daughters never had a penny of financial debt from school. Um, so I did all those things. So 
if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, you just got to want to do it. Yeah, you can. And, and, and I get everybody's situation is different. And I can tell you right now was, and I'm this isn't, Nick would say I'm bragging, and I'm not bragging. I'm not, my, I've got a really good job, and, and I do very well on my day job. But my wife and I made the decision eight years ago now that my wife was going to leave the workforce to focus on my daughter's education which is paying off in spades. Won't go into details on that, but it's been tough. I mean, we went from two incomes to one overnight, and we had to make adjustments. And I still found ways to, to make hunts happen, and I do it every year. What your, your little presentation made me do is sit down and think, what can I do? And when you talk about, you know, is it smoking, is it fast foods, is it eating out, it's those kind of things. It's simple things. It's instead of buying soft drinks, carry your get your water out of the faucet, and and carry a thermos. Yep. I mean, it's it's look. You will be surprised how those little things add up. You've mentioned mowing the yard, and I don't mow the yards, but I've been making bowstrings. And there are weekends that I will sit in my basement listening to podcasts and music on, and I will, I will twist bowstrings from sun up to way after sundown throughout the weekend and no it's not any fun but those are the those are the sacrifices that I'll make so that I have some of that extra money to do those things another one that I'm gonna mention that people really need to look into um, and most of these they have a fee it's like I think the one that I use is a dollar a month but uh, and I'm not gonna mention names you can do some research but you used to have the concept we did it growing up you had change in your pocket you threw it in a, a jar right mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, services out there that you can link to your checking account and it will round that change up and you can decide how much so you know it can just round up to the nearest dollar or you can say every time I make a transaction you want it to round up and add a dollar you can do these things and it's such small amounts that you really don't even notice it you if, if, if you don't think about it, you don't notice it but it adds up over time and what I did is I started doing that, and then after I saw it start adding up, well, then I said, well, what else can I do to reduce cost and save myself $10 a month and put that in with my, my roundups? And it's up to the point now where not only am I rounding up every transaction, but I've got $60 a paycheck that just goes into that account. It's invested in mutual funds across you know, a, a lot of people, so it's very low risk, but it's got much better reward uh, return than a savings account, and it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't even think about it until I'll sit around, I'll, sometime I'll go, I wonder how much money I've put back for my next hunt, and I'll go look at it, and it's a very rewarding feeling, because you're not missing it, but then you see it growing over time. So, there's a lot of ways you can get creative, that's just one. There's some um, huge ones out there. You know, the technology of today, and you're just sitting there thinking about how to cut the corner here, cut the corner there. If you've got satellite TV and you don't understand what YouTube TV is now, right? That's you can save $1,000 a year off your satellite bill by just getting a smart TV and going to YouTube TV. Our satellite bill is $115 a month. YouTube TV is $40 a month. It's 400 channels, plenty of TV, and you save $60, $70 a month. You, it's it's unbelievable. Soft drinks, like you mentioned, if you drink three soft drinks a day and you're spending two or three or four dollars, imagine two or three four dollars every single day, every single week, month, and then year, and in no time at all, your dreams now it's just right. Their horizon is right there. You can do it. Um, and 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 if you're monitoring it, if you start doing one of those and actually start seeing. The benefit, the, what you're mm-hmm. getting from that, it'll make you find more. You, yeah. you, you do just start getting hungry. And look, I'm not, and I know you're not doing the same thing. We're not telling people to go out and just scrape by and 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 not live a a a, a, a good life just so you can save for you know one hunting trip every three years. That's not what I'm talking about. And I know you're not either. It's it's the things that you're doing that does it really bring you that much joy and pleasure that you can cut out. How much of it's convenience? That's another one. Yeah, uh, you know, eating one. out is a convenience thing. Instead of instead of planning to go to, to Wendy's for lunch, take the time the night before and make yourself a sandwich. Yep. It 
shop your car insurance. Sure. I mean, and these are things that are not just going to help you in the hunting world. They're going to help your family. They're going to help you the bottom line of your family every day. There's shop your homeowner's insurance, shop at everything, and reevaluate every six months for those things. Uh, put the pressure on your insurers to, to, you know, this is what I'm paying. I, this, this is what this place is offering. There's the options are there financially. And, and then if you really want to get crazy with it, do you really need that new car that you've been thinking about buying? And, I've had one new car in my adult life, and that's, that's probably attributed, I can attribute a lot of my hunts to the fact that I've had one new car in my adult life, and, and I'm 57 now. So. I, I bought my last new car in 2009. I will never own. The only way I would ever own another new car, and then it would be questionable, is if for, and I can't win the lottery because I, I don't waste money on lottery tickets, but, you know, if somehow some just wild boom fell on me and I ended up with enough money to go pay cash for a car, I might buy a new car, but mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't have the desire for it anymore. Um, and I try, I mean, I've, I've got decent, I've, I've got nice vehicles, it's just they don't have to be new. Um, but anyway, anything else you would add on the finance thing? No, I don't think on the financial. Just know that it's possible. We've given you some tools to consider. So then, after the after you after you get a plan with regards to the finances, then you know what else would you tell people to consider when they when they start really thinking about this? I would say the 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 true joy in a hunt for me is plan the longest horizon you can. In other words, if you're going to go on that caribou hunt, plan it as far in advance as you can for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the more time you have to p prepare, the better prepared you're going to be. But at the same time, to me, the joy of the hunt is thinking about it, talking about it. And if you're going with a buddy, you know, you can get on the phone with him and, and share. The experience can last a year or two or three as you prepare for these hunts. I was blessed um, years ago to have a, a fireman that I worked with, and he didn't even shoot a traditional bow at the time. And I said, hey, you want to go hunt moose in Alaska? And he said, uh sure i said we got to shoot a recurve bow so i literally we literally got him a recurve bow he learned to shoot and it was a friendship that we shared camps hunting camps i mean f literally from alaska to zimbabwe mm -hmm. so the friendships that that you know with him i watched him shoot his first caribou black-tailed deer black bear heart of beast wildebeest bush pig um so that's a big deal but Go, go as far in, into, into the future with your planning as you can. It seems like, to me, it makes the hunt last that much longer. I won't, I won't go on a spur-of-the-hunt moment hunt. I just won't do it. Um, planning is a big part of it. Um, don't be intimidated. There's so many resources now with the Internet and, and books available to plan for any hunt. My first one was a caribou hunt, my first away hunt. Had no idea what I was doing. Um, there was a tremendous book at the time um, on hunting moose and caribou in Alaska, how to do it. And it covered every, you know, every nuance of, of how to do because back then the internet wasn't, wasn't really available, or not like it is now. The resource wasn't there. But now you can. You can go on a particular forum and you can find somebody um, that's knowledgeable of the area that you're going, the species that you're going, that'll they'll set you in the right direction. So don't be intimidated by the planning. Um, you know, I think Africa is, is a big bite for some people, and you, it requires less planning, actually, to go to Africa because you're going to go with somebody there. You're going to be at a, at a concession there, and they're going to pretty much take care of you. And really there, you're just talking about equipment and, and shot placement and things like that. But when you're going to you know, on a self-guided hunt in Montana and they're going to pack you in with mules or you're going for um, barren ground caribou and, and, you know, in the, in the Arctic, um, that's a different, that's a different world because you're talking about planting shelter and food and survival gear and things like that. Um, I've gotten in some pretty tight situations in Alaska, whether it be with bears or, or weather. Uh, the weather, I'm a heck of a lot more afraid of the weather than I am of the bears up there. That both have given me grief. So, but you just have to prepare for it. You learn quickly that this Georgia boy did that. That rain jacket that you've got that works good in the Piedmont or the mountains of North Georgia will get you killed in Western Alaska. Um, so, top-notch gear and just good planning. It's it's really not that daunting a task. To me, that's the fun of it is preparing 
for something that I've never done before. I like, um, and maybe I can expound on that a little bit. I love the hunt. I love, I love the taking of the big game, but I love the cultures probably more. I love going places where I don't know, I don't know what the people are thinking, how they act. Um, I like going places that have a foreign language. I enjoy that part of the hunt. Um, some may not, but I do. Um, but I like that aspect of it. I like the cultural changes. Um, you know, whether it be a, you know a French-speaking province in in Canada or or a, somebody speaking Afrikaans in, in Namibia, I just love that exotic st- uh, part of the hunt. Um, I wouldn't have pictured that about you. <clears throat> love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, to me, that's that's what makes it. Um, when I think one of the coolest things that I remember about going to Africa was sitting in the blind the very first day. My heart was thumping. And just as daylight came, I heard something growling. And I went, what kind of critter is fixing to eat me? <laughs> and it was growling loud. Now, I've been in the woods my entire 57 years. I know every sound in North America. I know the smells. I know every animal sound. But this animal growling, it kind of got me unnerved. I was like, what is that? It's right at the window of my blind, you know. It was inches away from your feet. It was a dove. A dove. (laughs) And the doves in Africa growl. growl. And then right then I said to myself, I don't know what I'm doing over here. And I really dug that. I liked it. I liked it. I liked that I got beat up by the animals because I can stalk a, a pronghorn antelope or a mule deer, no problem. Over there, all my hunting prowess was nothing because those animals are geared different and they'll embarrass you. I like the fact that I got beat up on a hunt over there by, by those animals. I, I like that. Um, you know, I like that a dove growled at me and, and it booed me a little bit. You don't, you don't get that adventure. And that's what, what I'm trying to get to here is Go places that, you know, take you out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to do that. It's, it's, it's once you've done it a couple of times, it's almost an addictive quality of the hunts is, um, you know, sitting in a blind in Zimbabwe with a magazine and a game spotter, which unfortunately they required it there. So there's a game spotter there and I turned the page and it's got a guy on a, on a mountaintop hunting goats and there's snow. And the, and the guy in broken English points at this picture of the snow, and he says, what is that? I said, well, it's snow. He didn't understand the concept of snow. Um, so that's what I dig about these, these faraway hunts. Uh, you know, might be, you know, you're trying to understand a Cajun down in the bayou of Louisiana. That can be pretty exotic too, but just don't be afraid. If you've hunted Georgia or wherever you're listening from, don't be afraid to get out of that comfort zone. If you've got the dream and something makes your heart pound, don't ever say, I can't do it or I'm afraid to do it. Just go and do it and, and find the resources that, to make it possible. So there are there are times, and this is just one of them, that <clears throat> I really hate that podcasts are just an audio medium. Because I'll be honest, I, th- this is the pro- worth the price of admission for me personally because... I've known you for probably close to 10 years now. Um, really gotten to know you fairly well in the last four to five. I've never seen you that, that excited and that animated <laughs> as you just were just talking about that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, there's just so much adventure out there. There's, there's so much to be had. But I can relate, I can relate to several things that you said there. Um, my antelope hunt, the 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 same feeling that you're talking about when they drop me off at this blind out in the middle of this prairie where it's flat to the horizon i mean i don't know that i've ever felt that small and insignificant in my life and the second thing that went through my mind was because it was just starting to get light and i'm looking out across this prairie and i'm thinking i'm not going to see an and i wrote about this so some people probably read this I said, I'm not going to see an animal here for two hours because, I mean, I can see everywhere. And that was the novice, not knowing what the heck I was doing. And it it dawned on me 
20 minutes later when I hear something outside my blind and there's there's two antelope does out there drinking and I said wait a minute now where did they where did they come from and then I start studying and analyzing and what you don't realize is even as flat as that prairie is it doesn't take but a two-foot change in elevation and these animals can hide they they're gone you mean you just don't see them and it's these little they're not even coolies it's just a low place Mm -hmm. and these animals are moving through those and then they just appear or that it felt like it appeared. It was also one of those situations when I didn't have a dove growling at me, but you know, I had a, I had what would be con, a considered a respectable uh, buck antelope seven yards from my from the blind before nine o'clock, and I didn't take a shot. And I had, I got a lot of grief about it from different people about, you know, how did you, how. I didn't want it to be over that quick. Now, I ended up still shooting my antelope around lunchtime the first day, but it was like this, I, I, I want to take in more of this. Yeah, I, I don't want, once I loose this arrow, it's done, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, I, I will never have that feeling. I'll never have the feeling again that I had this past year when I'm, you know, at 9,000 feet and I hear my first elk bugle. I'd mm-hmm. never heard that before. And you hear it on TV and you hear it on YouTube and you... But when you hear it the first time and you can feel it in the air, it's a different experience. It um, is different. I mean, you know, and I, I want to make sure I qualify this statement. I've hunted a long time, taken a lot of game with my bow over the years. And I still, I still, my heart still pounds when that big whitetail buck's walking in or that 300-pound boar's, you know, right under my tree. I still get excited for that. But it is still not the same level or the same type of excitement the first time it happened right. to me. The beauty of these away hunts, whatever they are, it might be Havelina in Arizona. It might be, a, you know, if you're in the northern U.S., it might be a, a hog in the South Georgia swamp. It's an away hunt. The, the, the first time you see or you hear those caribou clicking across the rocks, coming across that river at you in Alaska, the first time you see two bull blue wildebeest fighting in a dusty, you know, savanna in Africa, it's the first time you saw it. And it's it's it it's so addictive and it's so much fun. And there might be somebody out there listening that says, I just don't get the same level. I know you're still excited about hunting, but I don't get that same level of excitement anymore. Well, maybe an away hunt is for you, you know, to see something new, see new people, uh, new cultures. Um, I'll tell you, there's, I don't know, at a certain point in my life, I know physically I won't be able to do it. And I try to do those hunts that are really physical. I'm trying to plan those now. We just did Western Alaska for caribou. And it was, while there was some tundra there, it was mostly mountain hunting. And I've done it. I've probably taken a dozen or so caribou bulls up there, and I, I really enjoy it. Probably hands down my favorite species that I've ever hunted in my life. But I felt my pulse in my ears when I crawled up on that mountain just a year ago. Crawled up under the spine, that rocky spine of that mountain. I didn't even have a bow in my hand. I had a camera, and my 20-year-old son, or 19 at the time, my 19-year-old son had the recurve. I could feel my pulse in my ears as I watched him draw that bow and peek over that ledge and take that caribou bull. Um, You know, dream it. And if you've got kids, try to dream it with them. My daughter's hunted Africa with me. My son's been a lot of places with me. But uh, there's so much cool adventure to be had in this world. And it doesn't have to be a far distant land. I keep telling it because a lot of people think, well, you're dreaming too big, you're dreaming too big doesn't have to it's your dream it's not mine it's not anybody or your friends it's what makes you excited if you need to start small start it i think once you start it it's kind of hard to stop um but it's an adventure that i hope that we can inspire more and more people to do that's my goal and you know when we started this podcast nick kind of dropped a statement and i it was one of those when he said it you had to really think about what he had said and it was very simple and he said I'm an experienced hunter, not experienced. He's, he, you know, if, if he gets an animal, great, but he's not 
he's out there for the experiences and we even a lot of people have seen this now you know the hashtags are everywhere and and you know nick and i talked about it and we wanted to come up with a little hashtag that we could use and it's what we started doing is hunt the experience and what you just talked about those are the things that we're talking about the animals will come if you spend out if you spend the time and you put in the time the animals are going to come you're going to get your opportunity to take an animal but that in so many ways that should pale in comparison to the things like what you were just oh talking no about. doubt about it i mean it <clears throat> until you felt it I don't know, honestly and truly, I have felt it before, but I don't know that it, I don't know that I was old enough and mature enough and had wanted something long enough until that antelope hunt that I ex- actually experienced it myself. And that was just in 2016. That was just a few years ago. But I can tell you, since that moment, oh man, I'm I want it, and I want to find any way I can find to yeah. get it. It's just it's it's like the worst addiction you could ever have once you feel it that first time. And I, I'm like you, I've I feel a piece of that every time I see a white tail. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a doe or a, a four pointer. You know, my heart rate gets up, but it's a different. It's a different feeling. It's different. It, 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 is. it really is. You um, know, my like I said earlier, they, you know, the fire started with me, with us watching Fred Bear as a, as a little bitty boy, and I'm talking a tiny little guy that couldn't even carry a bow. It, it welled inside of me, and then fast forward. I'm 30-something years old, and I'm landing in a bush plane and on some unnamed lake in western Alaska, and as we're landing, the pilot has to divert, do a fly-around because there's caribou swimming in the lake. <laughs> now, you're talking about tasting adrenaline. I tasted adrenaline. And then we, I clambered out on the bank, and there's bull caribou streaming by us, you know. It was in the wonderful... Uh, days of the Mulchatin I heard and the pilot looked at me and he said well, buddy where's your gun I said well I, I don't have one he goes alright and he, he just said <laughs> he said here's the deal he said uh, the closest village of any kind is 200 miles that way he said so if you get lost that's the way you want to be walking he said that way it's 800 miles <laughs> and I remember clambering up on those rocks and I threw my tent up and then I I walked to the top of the nearest ridge, and I remember sitting there thinking, I got a recurve in this hand, and I've got caribou off in the distance working their way to me. And I said, I made it, man. I, I made it. I, I, I did my dream. And at the time, I thought, this might be it. This might be the one time I get to do this. And, uh, you know, within a day or two, I had a good opportunity at some bulls. I had some awesome encounters with grizzly bears. And uh, it, it, I just said, I, I've done it. You know, I, I did this. You know, I may not survive it, <laughs> right. uh, but I did it. You but know, I'm here. I'm here. And I, I just, you know, when I talk to friends or acquaintances or just people like this on a podcast, I'm thinking, is there any way to inspire anybody? Because to me, the adrenaline rush is now. And that's why I guide for a living, for crying out loud. I've been there and done it. I've killed 300 whitetails. I've killed 100 bears. I've killed I don't know how many pigs. I'm still excited, but watching somebody do it for the first time, when I get a hunter from New Jersey or New Zealand or California and he comes to Georgia and he takes a bear or a hog or whatever, that excitement in their voice, that to me, that's the addiction now. Mm -hmm. Um, My kids did it and I watched them do it, but they've done it all now. So now it's, it's taking the guy bow fishing for the first time and hearing the giggles, you know, as, as everybody misses and mm-hmm. it's an addictive thing. So, and these guys are traveling. That's what I like. They're, I'm part of, I get to be a part of their dream and that's, that's a pretty special thing. Yeah, it was, it was special for me. And I can tell you that, and, and Tom and I talked about this quite a bit. Now I, I do want to go back a couple of other things real quick and then we'll try to wrap this up. But, um, you know when that and you can see it in the pictures i mean anybody that knows me i'm not an emotional guy i'm really not i'm about as unemotional and unexcitable as as you'll see i mean i i get wound up but i don't i keep my emotions in check and that's you and you and i both grew up in the same that's that's the way men act right if you look at the pictures of me and that antelope brother i lost it i mean 
it, it was just an experience that I can't. I, there's no way you, you know it. Somebody mm-hmm. hasn't experienced it can't know it. And I can tell you right now, it was if your ears weren't burning, it was a thank you, Jerry. I mean, it was mm-hmm. because you lit that fire. Um, and, and like I said, I don't. I'm not trying to get all mushy here, but I mean, it was it was an it was a, it was probably the most emotional experience I've had in the outdoors. But once you feel it, man. <laughs> You want it again and again. Um, I did want to go back to the planning and get off that topic for a minute. But um, I do agree with you. And in fact, it's funny. Tom and I planned quite a bit for our antelope hunt, but it was different. There was a lot of things about that hunt that were preset, for lack of a better term. Um, now, on the mule deer hunt this past year, man, we planned and we planned and we planned. And, you know, uh, I forget now what for, but I actually was, I made two trips to, to Michigan during the time that we were planning this hunt, and we spent a good amount of time at Google Earth, you know, looking at, at landmarks and, and trying to pick things out of where we wanted to go, and we had, a, we had a plan and we had a backup plan. So that's one thing I would tell everybody, especially if you're doing a do-it-yourself, don't just have a plan. Have, have two or three backups because, you know, we went in the first day, we hiked four and a half miles we had a ton of gear on our backs we were planning on being you know five miles in for a week and we turned around 36 hours later and humped that stuff right back out and relocated because there was just there was no animals i mean Mm -hmm. it was it was barren that you could see that the animals had been there but for whatever reason they were gone i mean it was just nothing um but you know you mentioned a, a a you know, if you get somebody to go with you, that is one thing. At some point, and my wife's really going to, she's really going to give me a hard time about this, but at some point I want to do a solo hunt like that. Um, as long as I plan everything out and I've, I've got emergency contingencies and so forth, I really do want to do it. But I will say this, if you've got somebody that you're compatible with, that you know they're not going to get on your nerves. You're not going to get on their nerves. And they can share the burden of that planning and everything else that goes along with it. It's so much more rewarding on so many different levels. One, no the hunt's going to go better. Um, it, it's going to be smoother, but you're going to share all of that experience with somebody else. And it's there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, it, there's a lot to be said for being able to just absorb it yourself but there's so many times that you just want to go, man, did you see that? Or did Yeah, there's no doubt. It, it, having a, 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 a true hunting partner along is tenfold the experience and improvement. Um, but having said that, if you're going to a hunting lodge, you can pretty much go with anybody. But if you're going to be packing a moose out of western Alaska and spending that much time together in a tent, close quarters, that's when you want a true hunting partner. Yep. Well, you know, they're, they're difficult to find. Um, uh, my buddy was David Lepley, and we spent, gosh, we we must have spent a, a million days and nights together all over the world hunting together. And we were, I mean, we were exactly alike. Physically, he was strong, so we never complained. He never complained about the weather. He never complained about, we complained about the bears trying mm-hmm. to eat us a couple of times, but he didn't like bears. Um, but other than that, we were, we were, I mean, kindred spirits, man. We did everything together. Um, our families were friends together. So, and we, we, we got to share those, you know, those incredible Alaskan sunsets and it it is, it is a big deal. It makes a, a huge difference in the hunt. I want to, uh, just touch on two or, or two species, um, in particular, there's a lot of things to hunt out there, but I would encourage people for the, for, for two locations. If you have these dreams, if you have a dream for caribou, if you have a dream for Africa, you need to do it as quickly as possible. The caribou population is crashing across North America, all the way from the woodland species to the bearing ground and everything in between. Go if you're going to go while you still can. And if I could ever be of assistance to anybody on planning a, a, a solo guided caribou hunt, I'd be happy to help. I've done it so many times. I've got it down to a T. Um, Africa, it's cheaper than you think. If you compare it to a, a guided elk hunt, you can hunt Africa, five to seven species, bow hunted. If you hunt the right place, the location, um, you can do it for the same price. 
And with the political climate and pressure that's being put on these countries in Africa for people in England and Denmark and the U.S. to help these African nations manage their, um, their game populations, hunting is going to be a thing of the past in Southern Africa. In my lifetime, I know. Mm-hmm. So do it. And it's, it's already disappeared in a lot of countries because of the political climate, Zimbabwe, for instance. But go while you can. And I've got a lot of experience in Africa as well, and I'd be glad to help anybody with planning on that. And and I, I appreciate you saying that, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. It's funny you say that Tom, um, Tom just did Africa. Uh, actually did it twice in the last couple of years for, mm-hmm. for that very reason. Um, and he's doing, he's doing Australia. He may actually be there now, but he's doing it around this time this year. Um, so he's already heeding that advice and he hasn't heard it yet. But yeah. uh, What a value Africa is. What an incredible value. Exotic, more game than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care where you hunt North America. If you go to the right place in Africa, and whether you're stalking tree stand hunting or hunting over water holes, you'll see more game in a seven-day hunt than you probably will in a lifetime in North America. It's it's so special so incredible um a lot of the hunts we do we film and i'm not putting a a plug out here other than to say our youtube channel is russell outdoor guides go there if you want to do some hunts and you're not sure well how does this go but for bear alligator deer i'm not talking about my guide service i'm talking about just watch for the for the adventure um because everything on there is self-guided but just go on there and, and get a taste of it from africa to alaska um, there's a lot of cool adventures on that YouTube channel to see. And I'll make sure I'll, I'll put a link. Um, and, and I'll put a link to the YouTube channel on, on this on the show notes for this one as well. Well, Jerry, um, I'm sure you and I could probably sit here and continue talking about this <laughs> kind of stuff for two more hours, but I've kept you late enough tonight. I do appreciate your time, and uh, I appreciate you extending your yourself out there for for others if they if they need some guidance and advice it's it's really a great message and i'm glad we uh we get to share it with the listeners well certainly my pleasure and, and fellas dream it and then do it all right man. well and that we will end it thank you so much man have a good night and everyone else we'll see you next week